0: was guilty with nothing Nasty nails were meant for me yet Christ took
1: use this mic tonight. They say that the other one's still on the blink. I don't know what's going on with it, but I'll be glad when they get that finished. I can't stand I'm. I must be, well, I'm not sure if you're allowed to have ethnic jokes, but I must have some Italian in me because I like to talk with my hands. I hope I didn't offend anybody there. But anyway, I like to use my hands, you know. I'm just kind of one of those guys. But anyway, I guess I'll just have to keep it to one hand, all right? And we'll see how it goes. James chapter 5 tonight. James chapter 5. And uh, we're going to look at verse 17. We're just going to look at one today, and we'll kind of go from there. But tonight, I want to talk to you tonight about some stop signs on the road to prayer, just some basic thoughts. Uh, uh, I think that we'll find that, obviously, prayer should be pretty important in our lives. And so we're going to talk a little bit about prayer tonight, just a little bit. And we're going to use Elijah to kind of get things kicked off here in James chapter 5. And in verse 17, uh, we're going to read, it says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Boy, I tell you what, the life of Elijah, what a life it was, amen. <clears throat> and uh, here in the book of James, we're being reminded again of the escapades of Elijah. And in this particular case, it's talking specifically about the fact that he prayed, and he prayed that it would not rain for the space of three and a half years. That's a long time, isn't it? And, uh, you know, can you imagine having that kind of power with God, to be able to pray that it would not rain for three and a half years? Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? And, uh, boy, I tell you, many successful people have acknowledged in their memoirs through the years that whenever they came to an impasse in their work, Or they became completely baffled. They sought wisdom from the Lord. Boy, I tell you, that's always a good thing to do. And as believers, it ought to be the first thing we do, right? Now, this was true in the life of the inventor of the telegraph, Samuel F.B. Morris. And, of course, you might recognize the name Morris, Morris Code, that kind of thing. But nonetheless, in an interview, George Harvey inquired, Professor Morris, when you were making your experiments at the university... Did you ever come to a standstill, not knowing what to do next? I've never discussed this with anyone, so the public knows nothing about it, but now that you ask me, I'll tell you frankly, I prayed for more light. And did God give you the wisdom and knowledge you needed? Yes, he did, said Morris. That's why I never felt I deserved the honors that came to me from America and Europe because of the invention associated with my name. I'd made a valuable application to the use of electric power, but it was all through God's help. It wasn't because I was superior to other scientists. When the Lord wanted to bestow this gift on mankind, he had to use someone. I'm just grateful he chose to reveal it to me. In view of these facts, you know, it's not surprising that the inventor's first message over the telegraph was this What hath God wrought? Isn't that something? That's why America is a great nation. Because God was indeed at the very foundation and root of it. Because great inventors and great scientists at one point believed exactly what we believe about the word of God. It's amazing. If you'd go back 200 years, you'd find that even even scientists believe in creation. Well, i tell you what, it's uh, been in recent history, if you will, over the last 100 or 150 years that we've seen scientists deviating and really moving away from what we would call biblical truth. It's sad, but it is also true. And here in this particular text, we, are, we meet up with a man by the name of Elijah. And uh, he's going to prove to us that prayer was profitable, that prayer works, just like F.B. Uh, Morris here. We're going to see that it really worked. Now, Elijah, he was, he was the one, if you recall correctly, who was fed at Cherith both morning and evening by the Ravens. And I'm not talking about the Ravens that won a football game today. I'm talking about the Ravens, real Ravens. I mean, real ones, you know what I mean? <clears throat> I don't know if those guys could get the job done this year. But anyway, not after they got beat by Cleveland the way they did. But anyhow, I just had to bring that up. But nonetheless, he was the one that was fed at Cherith both morning and evening by the Ravens. He blessed the widow of Zarephath. Remember that? He, he uh, is the one who, uh, that cruise of oil that never failed, that barrel mill that never wasted. I mean, Elijah, I mean, he was, he was all in on that thing. He's the one who raised the widow's son who had fallen sick and ultimately died. Can you imagine having that kind of power? Wow, what could you earn doing those kind of feats? Elijah didn't really get a whole lot. He got a lot of pain and suffering in spite of it all, but I guarantee if I could raise the dead, I promise you this, I'd never go without a meal. You might be surprised though, right? He's the one that challenged the prophets of Baal to a duel. Remember that? And ultimately he would call fire down from heaven. I mean, this is the Elijah we're talking about. He overcame the soldiers of the northern kingdom. And he did it on three occasions. This is the Elijah who smote the Jordan with his mantle and parted it, walking across on dry ground. Elijah. Wow, what victories he experienced in his life. What amazing feats God enabled him to do. And yet, the same Elijah, he also ran from Jezebel in fear for his life. this same elijah could be found under a juniper tree discouraged and depressed i mean this same elijah i'm talking about the one who called fire out of heaven he had lost all hope of hope in life and he even invited death at one point he was so distraught that he wouldn't even eat this elijah This Elijah felt so sorry for himself that he believed himself to be the only faithful prophet left. After all those victories, we still see Elijah. And the Bible tells us exactly Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. That means he was just like you and he was just like me Boy, it's easy to look at a man like Elijah as we look at Scripture and say, wow, what a powerful man of God. What a victorious Christian he must have been. Wow, how he had communion and fellowship with God. It must have been out of this world. Boy, he was far beyond us. He certainly wasn't like me, and yet he was just like you. He was just like me. He was a man of like passion as we are. He had hurts and heartaches. He had disappointments and discouragements. He, too, felt uh, misunderstood, and he felt all alone, just like you may feel at times and just like I might feel. And yet, this great man of God, wow. So I guess when it's all said and done, you and I aren't far off, are we? I guess if he was like us in our weaknesses, we could be like him in his strengths. That means if God would answer his prayer, then God just might answer ours, huh? If God would do great feats of of or miraculous feats with Elijah, maybe just just maybe he might do it with us. I think he would. This Elijah. What an amazing man of God, and yet what a normal man see we run in the face of fear at times too we've been found discouraged and depressed at times we we've lost hope to some degree or another we felt distraught to the point of not even wanting to eat maybe have you ever been so discouraged so down maybe even depressed where you didn't even want to get out of bed We've been guilty of feeling sorry for ourselves, I'm sure. I know I have. And having the martyr complex. Whoa, pitiful me. Man, I tell you, I'm the only one that's really faithful. I'm the only one that reads my Bible. I'm the only one that's faithful to church. Boy, I went to that outing and nobody else showed up. It's always me. I'm the one that has to keep it all together. Really? Okay, Elijah. Like passions, Right? We fall prey to those feelings and flesh, don't we? But as we're going to find Elijah, he really wasn't that man, the one we're talking about when he got a hold of God. He was the, the man we talked about at first. As a man of like passions, what Elijah did was that he prayed earnestly. That was the secret. I mean, we see in the passage, it says Elijah was a man of subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. Any great thing that happened in his life, it was a result of powerful prayer, earnest prayer, God answering prayer. May I say that if we want God to do anything great in our lives, the lives of our loved ones, our family members, our friends, our church, our community, our world, it's going to be earnest prayer. This man kept praying and he kept praying. And so what are we to learn? Well, keep praying then, right? Just keep praying. He predicted a drought. Elijah had predicted a drought, and that drought lasted for three and a half years till Elijah ultimately prayed again for rain. The prophet of Baal, well, those Baal prophets went down in defeat as the fire of God fell from heaven. Elijah now instructs Ahab to eat and to drink. Why? Because he says, I'm going to tell you something. There's a sound of abundance of rain. And we pick up our passage in chapter 18, verse 42 through 45, and it says, So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Turn there, would you please, chapter 18. Look at verses 42 through 45. Because this is where we're going to now focus our attention. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 42 through 45. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Maybe that's Caramel. I don't know about you, but I still think it's Caramel. How many times it drives you crazy they call things Caramel? I don't know what that caramel thing is. I'm trying to figure out, what is that? An offspring of a camel? What is that? What I'm wondering, you know, why is it not just caramel anymore? But anyway, <clears throat> that's a whole other issue, a whole other sermon. But then Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Now, here in this particular passage, we have a marvelous picture of faith and sight being presented here. It's really an amazing picture. And in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible tells us, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Tonight, I want to just share with you two concerns about prayer, just two simple concerns. I mean, a problem concerning prayer, and I'm going to give you two of those, okay? Real brief, real fast. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you now for this time together. Help us to learn just something about prayer. Lord, help us to, to, to see by, by faith, not by sight. Lord, be glorified in the, the lives of your people. May we truly, Father, grasp and embrace this idea, this thought of prayer. It's a command. It's something you want us to do. You want fellowship with us, yes. You want us to seek your face consistently and continually. And, Lord, it seems that all of us probably could use some encouragement and help and exhortation in this area. Be glorified in our lives. We need you now. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, a problem concerning prayer is perspective perspective <clears throat> productive prayer is often hampered by sight i mean the christian journey is a a faith journey is it not at least that's what it ought to be it's a life lived by faith and it's a life that's not supposed to be lived by sight and yet too often we do we permit the natural eye our natural eyes to to affect our spiritual temperatures Too often we allow the physical eyesight that we have to discourage us in this area of prayer, even. Well, I mean, God would, He would have us take our cue from the treasures of His precious promises rather than the texts of prodigious men. How sad is it that we allow others to discourage us in this matter of prayer? Why? Because of our sight. Because we see with physical eyes. But I'll tell you what, David, that shepherd boy, when he found himself there confronted with a giant, he did not see with physical eyes. He did not see with this regular sight. He saw with spiritual eyes. And as a result, he took that stone and he killed Goliath. He did miraculous feats, not because he could see, not because he was just talented, not because he had an ability, but because he could see what God had for him. He could see By faith, not by sight. He knew that his God would deliver him. We're told that Elijah bowed himself to the ground with his face between his knees. That's an interesting picture, isn't it? It, It's there in that position, it's there in that place in his life that he shut out all distractions, all sight, all sound, He was putting himself in a position where beneath that mantle of his, he could neither see nor hear anything else that was going on. Then he would say to his servant, go and take a look. Check it out. And his servant would go and take a look and he would gaze out over the horizon. He said, nope, there's nothing. And Elijah kept his head buried and he said, Go look again. <clears throat> he went back up and he looked again and nothing. Come back, uh, Elijah, there's nothing. There's nothing. Go again. Back out, he goes again the third time. <clears throat> nothing, Elijah. Nothing. Go again. Goes back out the fourth time. Ah, clouds, where are you? Do I see any clouds? Nothing. Nothing. Go again. Five times he goes out. Takes a look. Looks out over the horizon. Looking for just a, a, a cloud. A, a simple cloud. Comes back. Nothing. Elijah says we ain't given up yet. Go up there again. Goes out the sixth time. He is gonna be upset this time. Elijah, nothing. Go again. Seventh time he goes out, looks out. Looks like a man's hand. There's a cloud. It looks like a man's hand. That's amazing, isn't it? Seven times. Seven times the Bible tells us. He keeps saying to his servant, go out and look. Go out and look. I'm going to keep praying. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to give up. I know God answers prayer. I'm going to stay here found in this closet of prayer until God answers me. God answered him. What do you and I do under the same circumstances? What do we do when we get in our prayer closet? What do we do when we bow our knee before God and we ask him to do something miraculous? We ask him to do something that seems impossible. We ask him to open up the clouds and let it rain in our lives. And we take a look with our physical sight and we don't see any clouds. And we say to ourselves, well, I knew it. What's new? God doesn't always answer my prayers. Matter of fact, I keep praying. God never says anything to me or ever answers my prayers. And so we get up out of our closet. We get up out of our knees, and we head on out in the world, and we just say, well, I guess God doesn't want to answer. Elijah says, You just keep on going because I'm not going to quit praying. You don't quit now. You don't quit. I'm not going to quit because we know God is a God that can answer prayers. And sure enough, he did. The problem with us is that we quit too soon. The problem with us is perspective. We're not looking with spiritual eyes. We're looking with physical eyes. Elijah's posture was interesting, wasn't it? His head was between his knees. You know, it's, that's a scary thing when the, the stewardess tells you to put your head between your knees. <laughs> you ever been on a flight and they say, brace for impact, put your head between your knees. That's like, uh, this isn't good. Or those little things fall out of the ceiling. That's not fun. I've had that happen. I didn't have to actually get embraced for impact or anything like that. But I hope that never happens. I'm going to go to the Philippines in January. I really hope that doesn't happen over the ocean. But anyway, his posture, head between his knees, again, blocking out everything else, blocking out all distraction. His purpose, again, to shut out sound and sight in order to be shut up with God. We notice perseverance, no matter the response of his servant, he just continued to pray over and over again. What did that produce? Well, the product was rain. What he prayed for, he got. I, you know, when I grew up years ago, my parents took me to church, and in those days, you know, the preachers preached, right? They preached about prayer, and you know what they said about Prayer. God answers prayer. You know, as I grew older and so forth, I eventually kind of found myself in a place where I was, you know, uh, in in church through the years, and I started hearing different kind of preaching on prayer. You know the kind of prayer I start hearing? Sometimes God says no. I start hearing that kind of prayer all the time, that kind of preaching now. I'm convinced and I do believe that there are times that any parent, says no to their children when they ask requests that are just unrealistic and potentially harmful to their children. But what I think has happened is we've bred a generation that really questions whether God even answers prayer today. Because we have all these conditions of prayer that's just so complicated now. I don't think God intended that prayer be so complicated. I think God just wants us to ask I think God just wants us to spend time tearing in prayer. I think He wants us to ask earnestly. I think so many times we keep, we almost, I think we do this out of a sense of self-preservation. We we come to this place where we have all these excuses why or reasons why God doesn't answer prayer, so that when He doesn't answer ours, it doesn't have to be our fault. It can't be that I'm that that I'm like David said, you know, regarding iniquity in my heart. I mean, God just not answer because He's saying no. It, it isn't because I've not tarried in prayer. It's not because I've given up. It's not because I don't pray consistently. It's not because I don't ask the way I ought to. It's got to be that God just doesn't want to answer my prayer because there's all these conditions for prayer to be met, and obviously God just doesn't want to answer my prayers. And so we've come up with all these reasons why we're not the problem. I think there's a part. I think that's partly true. I don't think it's completely true, but I think there's a part. A, a, I think there's a, a part of truth to that. What if I told you that the only reason, what, what if the only reason your prayers wouldn't be answered is because you stopped asking or you weren't praying fervently or there was sin in your life that kept your prayers from being answered? How would that change your prayer life? How would that change your Christian life? Amen. You know, we pray for our loved ones to get saved. They don't. And then we say, well, it's obvious because they just don't want to be saved. You know, there's all these conditions. God can't make a person get saved. And I get all that. Don't misunderstand me. But I do think we really don't want that kind of pressure on us thinking that it could be our prayer life that will change their life. You know what I'm saying? How inconvenient would that be? That it would depend on our consistent prayer life. (coughs) Children have gone wayward. Well, it's up to them. They make their own decisions. Yeah, but how much impact could we have maybe that we don't really exercise because we believe that, well, everything's cool with me and my prayer life. I'm just wondering. I'm just throwing some things out. I I think sometimes we see by natural sight. We see with our eyes. Our perspective isn't right. Instead of seeing things spiritually like Elijah did in this particular case, we see with with physical eyesight. And when we see nothing, sometimes our faith diminishes very quickly. A.T. Pearson once said this, do you know how to pray that way? How to pray prevailing? Let sight give as discouraging reports as it may, but pay no attention to these. The living God is still in the heavens, and even to delay is part of His goodness. I heard about three boys who gave their definition of faith. The first boy said, "Well, I think it's, uh, I, th- I think it's like taking." taking hold of Jesus, taking hold of Christ. The second boy said, well, I think it's keeping hold of him. And the last one said, well, I really think it's like not letting go. Well, I want to exhort you and I want to encourage you to hold on to Christ and just keep holding on and never let go. See, that's faith in action, isn't it? And that perseverance is something that says to God, "I'm serious about this prayer request." What do you really want from God tonight? <clears throat> what do you really want from God? Have you ever even thought about that? I mean, what you really wanted from God. You know, many are critical. Uh, many are critics, and and many will offer obstacles and. And seek to discourage us. But we have to see by faith. There's nothing outside of God's abilities. Ask believing. Keep believing. And keep asking. Matthew 21, 22 says, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. You still waiting for the rain to fall? Or have you just given up? Or are you still waiting, still praying, still fervently begging God? Don't allow your natural eyes to determine your spiritual temperature. That'll go a long ways. Not only that, but another problem, and this is the only other one that I have, but not only perspective, but proximity, proximity you know, we're going around claiming promises that are out of our reach so often. You say, what do you mean? They're out of our reach, not because they're not available, but we're not close enough to grab them. See, the promises that you and I seek are found at the throne of God. That's where they're found. And if we're not careful, we're not close enough to the throne to actually grab them. So how close to the throne are you today? I I think about some stop signs on the road to prayer things that basically keep us from the throne of God and I think you could probably give me a number of them right now if we just had hands in the air and, we, and I would like to do that but I'm not Let me just give you a couple. And if you know some others, make a mental note of them, all right? Phone calls. Phone calls can keep us from the throne of God. Texts, emails, social networking. Those kind of things can keep us from the throne of God. They keep us separated from that throne room. They keep us from praying like we ought to pray. I don't know about you, but if I have my phone with me anywhere in the area and it beeps while I'm praying, I am so tempted to look at it. Oh, that's right. I'm trying to get into the throne room of God now. I am focused on the Lord. I'm praying, God, help me to enter into your presence now. I confess my sin. I'm dealing with those issues in my life. Oh, God, give me grace. I'm just going to be quiet for a moment. I just want to enter into your throne room. And, boy, in the midst of that peacefulness, in the midst of that that solitude, ding. Right? Hey, listen. You don't think they designed that thing to draw your attention? It's supposed to do that. that and it, if it didn't, you wouldn't buy it. You wouldn't have it. But the problem is, is that when we allow that phone to be with us, when we try to enter the throne room, it will distract us from the throne. It will keep us from getting to where we need to be to have our prayers answered. Busy schedules. Boy, those, those can certainly be stop signs on the road to prayer. How about hobbies or television or entertainment? All of those things. Now, again, let's just be honest. None of those things in and of themselves are inherently evil. None of those things in and of themselves keep us from prayer, but they can become stop signs on the road to prayer if we allow them. Oh, may I say this one? Our wives, gentlemen, they can be stop signs on the road to prayer. They can distract us. They can keep us from getting to the throne of God. Our husbands, ladies, same thing. Our children, boy, they can be stop signs on the road to prayer. We can find ourselves so enamored with our kids, so, so conscious of them and their activities, so conscious of them constantly, continually, or that we don't even take the time. Maybe we don't get up when we ought to. We don't stay up late enough or we don't do what we need to to get to the throne of grace. And as a result of that, what, our children become stop signs. Stop signs on the road to prayer. I just, I mean, I want to pray. I've been planning on praying. Every time I get ready to pray, my kids interrupt or this happens or that happens or the big kid husband interrupts. And and the fact is, is that there's always an interruption. Yeah, there is. And those are called stop signs on the road to prayer. Families, friends, all of those things can become stop signs on the road to prayer. Video games, yard work, shopping, ministry even. Even ministry can. Well, everything in its place. Everything with a purpose. we got to be careful. You know how easy it is to just Prepare messages, not to pray over them. You know how easy it is to pray over a Sunday school lesson? Excuse me, to prepare a lesson versus praying over a lesson? I don't know why, but prayer is much more difficult than preparation to me. It takes me much more emphasis. I've got to be focused more than ever. I find myself walking into an office every day and saying to myself, okay, I'm going to pray, and if I sit at that desk, bam, guess what I find? Roadblocks on the road to prayer. A bunch of them. And probably if I find those, you do too. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with these things. At least, I'm sure, I mean, if they're used properly, they have their right place. They're prioritized as God would have them. But if they keep us from the throne of God, then... They become stop signs on the road to prayer. We can't afford to let anything keep us from prayer. You know, growing up, um, I I spent a lot of time at the park. We had a park down the road from our house as I grew up. Uh, We moved when I was about 10 years of age, and we moved not too awfully far from a park. I could ride my bike to the park easily enough. And uh, my brothers and I, we spent a lot of time at the park. They had a nice playground at the park. They had basketball hoops. They had tennis courts. Uh, but I had baseball diamonds. You know, I never really was a good basketball player as a kid. I became an excellent one later in life, but nonetheless, uh, when I was younger, I didn't really play basketball that awfully well, (laughs) but I liked to shoot around. I loved to try to play. Most of them called it combat ball, but instead of basketball, but nonetheless, I did my best, and I enjoyed playing basketball. I enjoyed being at the park. I liked doing those things. My dad, he just would never let us have a basketball court at the house. You want to know why? Because he said all the kids in the neighborhood would come over and want to shoot baskets. And you know what? He worked midnight shifts, so if he heard that ball bouncing all day long, that would have drove him crazy, and guess what it would have done? It would have been very harmful to my health. And so I'm probably just as happy that we never had one. But nonetheless, we would go to the park and we'd play basketball. And we would play baseball. For years, I remember playing baseball and going down to the park and getting there. And, and, and it was just, it was good to be there. I guess one year, I even took tennis lessons. Can you imagine that? Tennis lessons. I, I wanted to be the, the next, uh, at that Boris Becker. You don't know him. He's been around, it was a long time ago when he was. Pete Sampras. So that was going to be Me. It didn't quite work out that way. Kind of like my football career didn't work out the way I thought it would either. But nonetheless, or basketball. I suppose I could say this, though. The park was kind of my stomping grounds. You know, if I wasn't at the house, I probably was at the park. It was my stomping grounds. It's kind of where you could find me. It was kind of natural to see me there. That's kind of where I would run to. That's where I'd go. Matter of fact, my mom would even say, man, you guys ought to go down to the park and play. I wonder, shouldn't the throne of God be our stomping grounds? I mean, when you think about it, you know? I mean, we're believers, and yet, how much time do we really spend at the throne of God or on, uh, in the throne room of God. They ought to be our stomping grounds. Men, if somebody ought to say, Where, what, what's, where's the pastor at? Hey, where's so-and-so at? What are they doing? Oh, they, I think they're at the throne of God again. If you can't find them, they're probably in their secret place. They spend a lot of time there. See, proximity becomes a problem we're not close enough to the throne of God to grab what we're asking for. Oh, we're still asking, but we're not receiving. Again, a problem concerning prayer is proximity. A problem concerning prayer is what we already said and we've already looked at is perspective. Dr. Helen Rosevere, missionary to Zaire, told the following story. A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to, we tried to improvise a, a, an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late, because by then the baby will be dead. Dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children kind of watched eagerly as they opened it, and much to their surprise, under some clothing, they found what? A hot water bottle. Immediately, the little girl who had prayed, the one who had earnestly asked God not only for the hot water bottle, but for a doll, she started digging deeper. She dove in with both hands, and she started saying, if God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And She was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's request. I mean, five months earlier that she would need not only a hot water bottle, but a little doll. And so he encouraged and led some ladies to include both the doll and a hot water bottle in the package. Five months earlier, See, God knew ahead of time what was needed. But I promise you this, no one ever benefits more from prayer than us. I wonder, what are you praying for? What is it that you long for? Is it a soul of a family member, a friend? Is it for a different spirit in your life, different attitude, if we're renewing a child that's gone the wrong direction or concerned about your children as they grow up, seeking a spouse, what is it you're praying about? What is it you're truly burdened about? Don't forget about perspective. When you look up and you see nothing, don't let it keep you from praying. Keep your head buried. Keep on asking. Don't allow Yourself to see through these eyes of sight, but see through spiritual eyes. Proximity, make sure you're close enough to the throne of God that you can reach out and grab what you're asking for. And just remember the product. The product of the proper perspective and proximity in your life is answered prayer. prayer journal. That's always a neat thing to keep, isn't it? To write down your prayer request and to be able to go back and review your prayer request. To see what God has done. To have an actual physical account of things. To not depend solely on your memory but to have it written down somewhere. Well, that can be helpful and beneficial. Maybe you don't keep a prayer journal. That's alright. That's up to you. But can you point to an answer to prayer recently? I'm not talking about something that you just had to figure out and go, yeah, because an answer to prayer, i got to be able to say yes to this, so let me think it through real quick. Oh, yeah, I asked the Lord to bless my food, and he did. That's not the kind of prayer answer I'm talking about. I'm talking about an answer to prayer where you were praying and begging God for something, and God answered. It had to be him. Stop signs on the road to prayer. Let's not let anything keep us from the throne of God. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the privilege of prayer and the opportunity of prayer. And we just pray that once again you'd help us to recognize the real sincere need of prayer in our life. Not just for ourselves, but for those others that we are responsible for. For others that are in need of you. And Lord, whether it's for souls that we're praying or whether it's for sustenance for others. Help us, Lord, not to get so, uh, so physically sighted, to see things from the, the sight of our own eyes that we get discouraged in our prayer life. May we never stop praying. May we never quit saying, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep at it because God is going to answer my prayers. Lord, may you just work in our hearts and our lives and help us, Lord, to just stay close to your throne. And, Lord, just to truly see with spiritual eyes. Answer our prayers. We pray that Father, you might be glorified and exalted in Christ's name. We pray, Amen. Let's all stand.